Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome our guest, Fur Kirchner. Fur, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you, Arch. Pleasure to have you back. And listeners, I saw Fur several weeks ago. We did a class together. And if you remember a while back, she did some shows on Flight 93 and the article that she wrote that was published all over the United States and what we had talked about. And so when I saw Fur several weeks ago, I asked her to come back and she graciously wanted to come back to the show. So Fur, we're so glad to have you back. And before we start, would you share with our listeners a little bit of your educational background and what you are currently doing? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I am currently about to enter my 36th year of teaching U.S. history in Daly City, California. I have always taught in the same area of town, east side of Daly City. I'm starting to see the kids of kids I taught coming <laughs> through, and I absolutely love it. And I am really excited to talk to you today about an American family that does have some Philadelphia roots, and this is the Grimke family. So I'm very excited to talk specifically about the two sisters, Sarah and Angelina Grimke, who are well known for their abolitionist views and also for their very huge proponents of, of women's rights, some mm -hmm. of the first women's rights proponents that we see in American history. And for a curiosity question for me, where do you go to school? What's your educational background? Well, way, way back. I grew up on the island of St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Wow, I did, that I didn't know. Yeah, me and Alexander Hamilton, your best yeah. friend. <laughs> uh, Sorry to hear that. <laughs> my family and I lived down there for 10 years. I grew up there and went from K through 8 there and then moved to California went to high school in Northern California, and then I went to the University of California at Berkeley, and I got my teaching credential at the University of San Francisco. Wow. And you were starting your 36th year. Do you believe how quickly that yes. time goes? An old lady. They, Yo, they, you're not they, old. I let them call me La old. Listeners, I, <laughs> I have saw first three weeks ago, and I will detach you as not an old lady. Listeners, you <laughs> want your kids to be in her classroom. She is very animated. She is very enthusiastic about American history, and she does a lot with the kids to get their attention and keep their attention. And once in a while, she even dresses up at certain historical individuals, which is just a wonderful thing to say. So, you're, <laughs> well, you're not an you're not an old lady. <laughs> For, as you start, what sparked your interest in the Grimkeys and particularly these two young ladies? Well, I always tell my students that we are the you know we really need to look at human beings and what they did in their time period, and then how do they relate to us? And one of the things that I've always said to my students is that history's weirdos become current day heroes. <laughs> and that a lot of times the weirdos are the ones who end up maybe even in their lifetime not getting the attention that they deserve, but that their influence, that their willingness to speak up or their mm -hmm. willingness to have new ideas, their willingness to do something that was completely against what their family or their current gay society allowed or mm -hmm. said ends up being something that becomes very common and normal for us. 
So when I talk about the Grimke sisters, I'm always so enamored of them. The kids at first are a little bit weirded out because if you look up a picture of Sarah and Angelina Grimke, they look very grim. They look very solemn and they do not look like very exciting people to learn about. But by the time I'm finished talking about them, there are many kids, both girls and boys, who are quite enamored of them and really admire them. Mm-hmm. And I, I say we are the, you know, we really need to honor those ancestors and become their proponents in our current day life. So learning a little bit about people that no one's really heard of or that not a lot of people have heard of, um, I think is really important. Although these two sisters were very well known in their time, but they sort of dropped off from being known for quite a while until the 1960s, really. And then they've started to kind of have a resurgence lately. So it's interesting to look at just ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And as you start, would you share your saying, your philosophy with the listeners? Because I absolutely love it. And I see you posting it quite a bit and you're saying it quite a bit. And it's so relevant. Oh, well, I have a big sign in my room and it says we are the legacy of our ancestors and the inspiration for our descendants. Hmm. And that actually came out of my brain one day in utter frustration at a young man who was laughing at his grandmother as she was weeping in the middle of a parent conference because he was just being so naughty and so dismissive of his education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of yelled that at him. I said, look at her. She's weeping. She's working three jobs and, you know, to try to make you have a better life. And You know, that kid came back when he was about 30 years old. (laughs) He said, man, you really got it right there. Um, And so that's become something that is hanging in my room and that I want the kids to remember to honor the legacy and then be the inspiration. Take their legacy and make it worthwhile. Make their struggle worthwhile. If one day you'll hand it down to someone else, believe it or not, you know, say, I know only 14 and you don't think that's going to happen but look at me I, I didn't think I'd be this old this quick either and you know so. <laughs> stop saying that stop saying that for <laughs> you're not old and I love what you said is today's weirdos are tomorrow's heroes I I just yeah. that's such a good well if you would like to start with their father or wherever you'd like to start please the floor is yours yeah. Well, you know, John Grimke was part of Charleston's upper class. He was very well connected economically and politically, socially. He married very well, too. Mary Smith, her family was well connected. And they had large rice plantations and and hundreds of enslaved workers. And, you know, Mother Mary was very harsh and strict with her enslaved workers. They had 14 children. And among those children were Sarah and Angelina. Sarah was the sixth child, and she was very, very, very smart. And although Sarah was allowed to read some of her father's law books and stuff, he was actually the, what would be the head judge or the justice of the Superior Court in South Carolina eventually. She was told, you know, by her father, if she was a man, she'd be a great lawyer, but you know, that's really cute, Sarah, but your job is to learn how to embroider, maybe write a good letter, give a good party, and find another rich planter boy to marry. Mm -hmm. 
And so the higher education did not really extend to the Grimke daughters. John had served in the American Revolution as a soldier. You know, he'd been captured in the siege of Charleston. He ended up being released in a prisoner exchange and, and joined, you know, Nathaniel Green, fought at Yorktown eventually, and then became a highly educated lawyer and eventually, you know, also a politician. So the family was very, very well connected. And when Sarah was born, she was just one of these many children that were going, that were part of the Grimke legacy, part of the Grimke fortune. And like I said, she wanted to be a lawyer, but it was told, she was told that's not womanly enough. And she was allowed to look at her father's books and, but she was not, definitely not allowed to study Latin. That's where John Mm -hmm. drew the line. Some of the girls had private tutors, but they were basically taught French, embroidery, music, basic finishing for ladies. But Sarah did something that was extremely against all of society's wishes and especially her parents' wishes. She started teaching Bible classes to some of the young enslaved workers that were on the family farm or on the family plantation. And she was frustrated that she wasn't allowed to teach them how to read, but she did teach them Bible stories and started to basically have a kind of a mini school on the plantation Mm -hmm. for the younger kids. Her parents got very angry and said it would confuse the slaves. It would cause them to think too much and rebel. And it really caused a huge kerfuffle with her family. And Sarah also secretly taught her personal enslaved companion, Hetty, who was the same age, she actually did teach her how to read in the privacy of their bedroom. And she has this really great, she later wrote, I took a mellifluous satisfaction in teaching my waiting maid Mm. at night when she was supposed to be occupied in combing my long hair. And then she said, we would lie flat on our stomachs before the fire with the spelling book under our eyes, defying the laws of South Carolina. Let me, let me ask you a couple of questions on Joan, sure. if, if I may, because yeah. I, I saw this and I did a little background. Do you know, happen to know what religion the, the Grumkees were? I know you'll, you'll talk later about the sisters converting to become Quakers. Do you know yeah. anything? They were Episcopalians. Episcopalians? Um, but the sisters go through quite a huge transition from Episcopalian to Presbyterian to finding a little bit of Quakerism down in South Carolina mm-hmm. and then full Society of Friends when they go to Pennsylvania. But yes, they were originally Anglican or Episcopalian. And the reason I'm asking that first, because that it's just unfathomable where people that are tremendously religious, which I consider myself to be in, in that school, one, how they could ever own anyone else, and two, how could they so harshly treat those people? You know, which is, it just... Absolutely. It's just it's beyond my comprehension that people could be that way and justify it, you know, particularly in, in a very a, a severely or serious religious background. Yes, it's always really interesting when we start getting pretty nitty gritty with this in school, in the classroom, mm-hmm. and the kids really have to grapple with it. That's why I love teaching eighth grade, because they're at that age where they really do grapple with these things and they have the capacity to think pretty clearly about it, but they get they get mm-hmm. frustrated and they get confused. And I always say to that, good, 
you should be frustrated and confused because that'll make you want to think more and find out more about it. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> it, it, don't don't let what I tell you or what the book tells you be the last thing that you that you do. Like Absolutely. go find out more, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they they always have this very deep need to want to ask questions about that. Like, how can you be so so religious and yet so against what seems to be a very basic religious principle of yeah. any religion? Yeah. <laughs> right. You you mentioned and, too and that's that why we history. <laughs> you mentioned that when he was a justice of the Superior Court, he was impeached. Do you, do you know the yes. reason why he was impeached, but um, acquitted? No, there were just it, all I could find. When I went, kind of tried to dig deep in that, and basically it just said that there was some jealousy and some differences of opinions and, you know, basic political infighting, and that they thought that that would be a way to get rid of him. And as soon as he was impeached, he was basically, it was unfounded mm -hmm. immediately. But it really got to him. It got, it, it was so upsetting to him that he, his health really deteriorated as a result. And interestingly enough, his Charleston doctors sent him to consult an expert in Philadelphia, which is how Sarah comes to be in Philadelphia as his nursemaid. She was asked to please go accompany him to Philadelphia and to, to see Philip St. Physic, who's actually a pretty famous physician of mm -hmm. the time and professor in Philadelphia, a professor of surgery and anatomy at the University of Pennsylvania Medical School. And so he was considered a highly influential doctor of the time. And that's how she ended up being in Philadelphia with her father. And for about what time period was this when they came to Philadelphia, when Sarah and Right. Her? So 1817 or so is when her father fell ill. And so they were in Philadelphia about 1819. And Dr. Physic really couldn't diagnose anything specific. And so he suggested they go to the sea air and Sarah took her father, John, to Long Branch, New Jersey. And in August of 1819, he actually passed away there. And, you know, as, as much as Sarah had resisted having to go with him, she found that in her travels, she actually started to talk to people and see the world outside of the plantation. And although she had always resisted the slavery and the enslavement that was happening in her realm as mm -hmm. she was growing up, she became much more independent and worldly and confident talking to people outside of like we say currently outside of your bubble, right? She mm -hmm. went and actually met people who had similar feelings to what she had and also just appreciated her intelligence and weren't trying to squash the fact that she had such a sharp mind. So, so after Sarah, her father died, she actually met um, Israel Morris, and he introduced her to the writings of John Woolman, who was a Quaker and um, who had written about the evils of slavery. And she kind of felt compelled to stay in Philadelphia for a while. 
And I'm sure, Fer, that she went on to be an ardent uh, Phillies fan and Eagles fan and, um, <laughs> you know, ingested a lot of hoagies and cheesesteaks. Um, Absolutely. And, yes. and and probably <laughs> spent a lot of time at Wawa for, you know, for all those reasons. So <laughs> would fun. you would you say that that was a major turning point in Sarah's life when she brought her father to Philadelphia, then he passed away and she saw a total different type of lifestyle and thinking? Yes. You know, she actually wrote, I feel impelled by a sacred sense of duty, by my obligations to my country to fight for the victims of tyranny and give my testimony about the system of slavery. And what made her so unique is that she had come from being raised as a person of privilege who was waited on hand and foot, each Grimke had their own enslaved person who practically stood behind them at dinner. And if you wanted someone to pass the salt, you would ask your slave to pass the salt to someone mm-hmm. else's, you know, it was that entrenched. So for her to have come to the North and been exposed to this different philosophy, and then also to have come from that privileged life, she somewhat kind of became a poster child for this anti-slavery movement because she was basically a convert. But when she entered the Society of Friends, she wanted to be a minister. And that was allowed. But in the sect that she chose, it was really kind of frowned upon. So she found frustration in that she started to speak out and wanting to be part of the leadership. And she was kind of rebuffed by the male Quaker leadership and told that she really can be, she can be a member, but she needs to kind of chill out on wanting to So that that kind of made her feel a little bit ticked off too. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and th- I think that ties into when you mentioned that her father saw that she was uh, very smart, uh-huh. and yet it was not allowed of her to be become a lawyer. Is that is that correct? In- yes, she was very very. Uh, she was in awe of one of her brothers who had become a lawyer, and she really wanted to be allowed to go north and go to Princeton or go to Yale, go somewhere where like her fa- like her father had, like her brothers had to become a lawyer. And yeah, she was really discouraged from, you know, it's like, well, that's a nice little hobby for you. But, you know, it was unheard of still. So she was going up against this male dominated society where they appreciated her intelligence, but she was still very much to stay in her place. It's unfathomable to think that at one time but that was the norm in our society yeah. and culture. <laughs> so. Well, and a, a lot of this is very much connected to religion. And that's why I make it very clear to my students that we are going to be studying religion in U.S. history in public school because you can't understand it if you don't also see that connection. We're going through the second great awakening at this time period. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on and religion, you know, first great awakening sort of, you know, sparked a revolution. Second great awakening causes a second kind of revolution in reform and people who are, you know, working towards the end of slavery, better education for everybody, reform in mental health and prison reform. I mean, we've got a bunch of people here at this time that are working to be reform, mm-hmm. reformists. 
and that second great awakening or that religion is has to be part of the narrative. Sure. When her father caught her, Sarah, teaching Hetty, and you said that he became fu- very furious with her and punished them both, is that something that ultimately led her to join the Friends, and particularly when she saw it in the Philadelphia area? Um, you know, I think it all went together. I, I think she was shocked and dismayed by just the, she talks about not just the treatment of Hetty, but you know, at one point, John did make all his children go into the fields with the slaves just to kind of see what it was all about. But of course, then they came back to, you know, luxury. And she actually really, that really resonated with her when she saw that some slaves could barely walk because of the whippings that they'd gone through mm. or the pun they'd gone through. So I think she was just constantly trying to find a way to an answer for this and and that was why she and her sister angelina they actually went through quite a few different evolutions of their religious journey before they did actually land on the society of friends and the quakerism but they eventually sort of broke away from that as well when Mm -hmm. they weren't accepted into that as they were speaking out against slavery and for women's rights and they were kind of they were not kind of, they were actually told, knock it off, quiet down. You're kind of embarrassing us. <laughs> and that's so the, when they the, had these two the ladies who are raised in a certain societal evolution, they take bold stands against slavery and for women's rights. And they, they are now ostracized on so many different levels because of their thinking evolved way past how they were raised as children. Absolutely. And not only that, but their thinking evolved past what even people in the North were Mm -hmm. willing to listen to. People who hadn't grown up seeing the evils of slavery were also just very shocked by these women who should have been much different based on the way they were raised. And they basically refused to shut up. Mm-hmm. What, <laughs> and what courage persisted was was way before some other people that we know currently. You know, yeah. I mean, they did not do what they were told to do. And when I when we get to Angelina, um, you know, we talk about her journey too. It's she's the one who I have a huge poster of in my room. She's she's my oh. hero. But Sarah, being her older sister by twelve years, was somewhat like her mother and really had a huge influence on Angelina. Well, Farah, we are up against time, believe it or not. And you, you know, we still need to talk about Angelina. And Uh so we're going to stop here and then we're going to pick it up in our next program. So you can finish talking about Sarah and then you can talk about Angelina. But, you know, these two women, they go against their culture. They go against their society. They continue to look at the friends and the Quakers and they're women. So what courage did they have to stand up and continue to believe and teach their convictions? It's amazing that so many people like this that we don't know all that much about. Yeah, it is. I love them. I just love them. You know, she wrote many essays, and I guess I'll I'll try to end with this. She wrote many letters, but she wrote the, the original equality of women. And she wrote, I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. Mm. I know nothing of man's rights or women's rights. Human rights are all I recognize. Mm. And 
Now, writing that in the early 1800s is quite phenomenal. Yeah, very powerful. Well, for thank you. I mean, this is it's been very enlightening because, again, as you said, we don't know much about so many of these people, but what they did to help finally end slavery and continue the fight for women's rights and equality for all. So thank you for sharing what you did. And we look forward to the next program when you can continue can talk about Sarah and her sister, Angelina. Absolutely. So, thank you, Bart. Thank you for including me, Arch. Oh, it's been my pleasure, and you know that for so. <laughs> so this is 1180 AM WFIL, working for your liberty.